Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. As you can probably hear, we're using our new microphone, which is much, much better than anything else I have used before, and we're now experimenting with the sound controls. Anita will obviously uh, try to yell at me when she gets something to edit when we do our long-form interviews, but um, I'm not using the settings that I recommend for quote-unquote that classical broadcast feel. I still have to practice with this and get all the P's and T's out, so it's uh, it's going to be quite uneasy to find my uh, my natural balance of where do I breathe, how do I set this one up, and what do I do with all the little buttons and thingies, but um, I'm trying to. Therefore, if you, if you have any advice of how the sound feels like, or, or do you dislike the sound, or is this better than my previous one, well then, let me know, because this will be quite important to, you know, provide you with the best possible listening quality. Because, you know, they, they, they gave me the option to do, like, the natural thing, or more, more clear sound of my voice or something, or that, like I said, got enamored by this so-called classical broadcast feel, which I think fits well with my, with my news episodes. And this is one, because we have some very interesting things. First of all, we have some news about our friends in the Wagner Corporation. <laughs> Private military group Wagner, or the band of criminals previously known as Wagner. And um, their channel, called Grey Zone, not the American Grey Zone, the Russian Grey Zone, it's a mess, I'm pretty sure they both are somehow related and tied together. Yeah, they posted a little things about what has happened with them. Uh, that's a bit, that's a bit interesting. And again, sorry, if the sound quality is a bit off at this time, we'll fix this. On it, will yell at me and it's going to be done. But this is what Grey Zone basically um, posts about everything humanly possible that's happening with the with Wagner Group and you know why all the things that they're going to go to Poland are um, a bit of a mess and probably not real, not real at all. Quote, the Grey Zone writes, I tried for a long time not to touch this topic. First, I'm hard to get up to big texts. And secondly, I don't fully see and understand the policy vector of Wagner Group, which they will refer to as Contora or company later on, which is how Wagner Group call, call themselves. But in recent days, I have been approached by a dozen of acquaintances and not-so-acquainted comrades who have served and are serving in the company with a request to clarify some, somewhat that is, what is going on, and in view of the public reactions from the military press service of Wagner Group, I will allow myself to explain somewhat to not every knowledgeable person what is going on, and to each such official reaction I will write, write a purely subjective commentary. But before I get to the text... I want to add here the words of the United States Department spokesman Matthew Miller, which was said during the Justice March. The Justice March is how Wagner Group calls their mutiny, by the way. Quote, The United States would like to see the Wagner Group disbanded and cease its activities around the world. End quote. Grey Zone continues. For further reflection, let's take for discussion the first official statement from the Contora, namely on behalf of the Wagner Group Council of Com Commandeers. Quote, Many of our com combat comrades report that they receive calls from various second-rate uh, Chevekas, Cheveka being Chasnavinna Compania, being, being a private military company, offering to recruit them for work in Africa. It's up to each individual to choose whether or not to fall for it. Every day, our guys go on business trips to distant destinations. Wherever we have worked, we continue and will continue to work. Get ready for new missions. It is impossible to destroy the unity of the greatest army and the most effective army in history called Wagner Group and reassemble it under a new roof. Don't fall for it. Call your commanders. And now I have to put something in here because Wagner Group is not only not the best army ever 
it is the worst army on the Russian side on every possible side. If you would give uh, random guns to random teenagers like, I don't know, Wolverines, Wolverines were a better army than Wagner Group. Their own casualty rates are insane. They uh, failed everything out of the 70,000 people that they had, uh, or so they claim. 40,000 ended up wounded, out of whom 20,000 like 20, more killed. It's like insanity. Their casualty rates are insane. They do not know anything about how to preserve their own numbers, nor they do care about such little things. They are the worst military company on planet Earth. They just like to, you know, brag about how they're these cool mercenaries and everything. So, um, no, no, Wagner, you are objectively the worst, worst unit. And yes, they achieved one little success in Bakhmut, but at the casualty rate, that's insane. And then, then your guy Prigozhin managed to just, you know. Totally do stupid stuff, but oh, I don't know. They just truly really like to like to present themselves as being the best of the best, although they are just the scummiest of the scummiest. But can't continuing on from uh, from Grey Zone quote, and it's true. Firstly, indeed, recruitment for the war abroad on behalf of the inf- infamous private military company Redut, which operates under the direct patronage of the Ministry of Defense. Secondly, a new private military company quote Russian Expeditionary Corps is being formed on the basis of one of the advanced brigades of the special forces of the Russian armed forces. But let's start in order. Private military company Redut, aka private military company Zvezda, was created before the events of the 24th of February, with the expectation that there will be an easy campaign in Ukraine, as well as in order to make up for the shortage of contact personnel to start a military campaign in Ukraine. The Wagner Group was not invited to the war as a matter of principle. All the laurels of Blitzkrieg were to only belong to two people from the ministry. And after the disclosure of the truth about the war in Syria, to allow Wagner to go, to go there again, was tantamount to shooting oneself in the foot. Expectedly, private military company Redut has taken on all the pains of the usual army. Despite the generally not bad and even sometimes good personnel which was recruited there, they set tasks with typical army badges on them. There was also a case of a high-profile and narrow circles detention, of one of the high-ranking officials of Redut by our counter- counterintelligence FSB after two times in a short time, Radovsky um, <laughs> managed to just, just basically <clears throat> smash themselves and uh, get surrounded. But Redut is not united and, and, and crushed by just one traitor. I think that many people regard, reading these lines will find resonance in the fact of how the original terms of the contract were not fulfilled. From payments and conditions of withdrawal to the territory of Russia, to failure to fulfill the closure of minor issues, such as obtaining citizenship. Now, on the eve of another mobilization, instead of recruiting personnel and strengthening positions in the territory of military operations against Ukraine, there is an actual redistribution of valuable personnel to those military operations that should be of secondary importance to Russia. Not some Africa, but Donetsk, Luhansk, Kherson and Zaporozhye regions. Defense against shelling of Belgorod, Kursk, and Bryansk regions, Crimea, after all. But one knight of the Order of Malta decided to play into the hands of British imperial politics and its intelligence services by atomizing the Russian army into two fronts. And it's fair to ask, isn't Prigozhin doing the same thing? Firstly, his contracts, including state contracts, were signed long before 24th of February and their execution is an insurmountable obligation. Secondly, neither Yevgeny Prigozhin nor the commanders of the Wagner Group nor the fighters or, uh, nor the fighters themselves refused to take part in the fighting in Ukraine. They were simply forced out of there. Who was afraid, afraid to let them fight? 
which is fun because this just shows that uh, not only Wagner Group is not just focusing on Africa, as everyone thinks. And I know there's also been a ton of reports about them not being paid and the widows of, of their, there's also like, you know, money drying up and everything. It's just that Wagner Group is being deleted. Prigozhin himself is being let, you know, left alive only because, um, yeah, you know, what, what kind of idea that this would show to any future mutineer? You know, if Prigozhin, Prigozhin probably has lost a lot of his influence and a lot of his money and a lot of his clout, but he's being kept alive just so, just so in the future, someone else who might do such a mutiny, you know, would be, um, would be left alone, basically, and, you know, would agree to some terms, no matter what these terms actually were. In other news, we have, um, you know, we have these guys who are Zed Patriots, our good friends at Angry Patriots Club, getting more and more crazy. For starters, here's something by Maxim Kalashnikov, and those of you who watched the uh, Club of Angry Patriots' first big Vietje Pabiedi, you know, that big event that we watched together, and that was pretty horrific, you'll, you'll understand why this is a bit hilarious. And this is Maxim Kalashnikov, who, to put it mildly, wants to fuck around and then uh, supposedly find out, because he thinks finding out is not going to happen. But this is the new mood among all these very far right from Putin warmongers. Quote, In early 2023, I wrote about RAND Corporation analysis that looked at NATO's options for responding to a Russian strike on the alliance's infrastructure during the war in Ukraine. Several op op options for a Russian attack were considered, a demonstrative strike without significant damage to NATO capabilities, such as hitting an empty airfield, secondly, hitting United States satellite in space, hitting one or more targets with isolated casualties, strikes with significant casualties and damage, and an unrestricted, unrestricted attack against a number of diverse targets, such as hitting key NATO airbases and ports in Europe. The more ferocious the Russian attack, the more difficult it would be for the United States slash NATO to respond in a way that would avoid escalation and full-fledged war. And the entire study was based on the thesis that in responding to a Russian attack, NATO countries should prevent escalation of the conflict. At the same time, they also would need to convince the allies of the Article 5 about its reliability and the cohesion of the alliance. A military response, also measured and careful, is being considered, starting with the scenario when Russia launches daylight missile strikes against three air bases in Poland and Romania that are involved in arms supplies to Ukraine, resulting in the deaths of a dozen soldiers and the short-term disabling of a number of facilities, plus some missiles miss their targets, resulting in the deaths of about a dozen civilians. All less serious attacks than the one described above, as Mikhail Kalashnikov states, the RAND study suggests a rather non-military response from NATO. For example, it would come in the form of cyber attacks, broad new sanctions, or providing Ukraine with additional weapons. There was even a response option in the form of a promise to make concessions and cut aid to Ukraine, which sounds like total bullshit, but you know, it is what it is. And, uh... Yeah, I mean, this is Maxim Kalashnikov we're talking about. Most of it is probably bullshit. And now he quotes uh, CNN, no less. Quote, Why do I bring up the study? Because CNN is now discussing what NATO's response would be if a Russian missile flew into Romania. The conclusion is that World War III won't start because of the Romanians. Quote, Russia is very cautious, and we have to remember that if something happens on Romanian soil, it's not some instant move. NATO will hold a meeting. They will decide to turn a blind eye to it to pretend it didn't happen or to publicize it. End quote. And so Mikhail Kalashnikov, because, you know, of NATO carefulness, suggests the following. <clears throat> quote, and by the way, the option of an accidental missile hitting NATO territory was not considered in the RAND report at all. But since NATO is unlikely to give a military response to a single deliberate attack, then, pardon the banality, the conclusion is self-evident. 
we must go to our goals, to stop the import of weapons into Ukraine and hit the bridges that lead to Romania, including the bridge at the Moldovan port of Girgulesti, which I wrote about earlier. He writes about that earlier, basically, but, uh, you know, if I would read everything Mikhail Kalashnikov posts, I wouldn't have time in my day for anything else. And uh, finishing him up. Everyone understands that the export of agricultural products from Ukraine and the import of weapons into it are realized through these bridges, in Zatoka and at the port of Girgulesti. It is important that the West also understands this. It realizes the logicality of Russia's strikes on the infrastructure that allows Ukraine to carry out, out logistics. So, you know, if one missile flies into NATO territory, that's fine. Like I said, Mikhail Kalashnikov and these pro-war guys, which means a lot of our motivated army parts in Ukraine, also sort of, um, you know, they, they really popularize fucking about. Also in the news, the fact that um, head of Russia's Central Election Committee just stated that, quote, Russia doesn't need democracy in the Western sense. Russia's Central Election Commission head Ella Pamphilov stated that, quote, democracy in the West is not ruled by the majority, but by the minority. And she added that Russia really doesn't need this democracy in that way. Pamphilov's remarks came during a presentation at the Territoria Smyslov, Territory of Meaning Forum, a yearly educational event after a participant asked her to comment on the press secretary Dmitry Peskov's recent remarks on democracy. Which, by the way, um, he stated that, uh, quote, our presidential election is not really democracy, it's costly bureaucracy, and that uh, Vladimir Putin would win with 90% of the vote. This is kind of crazy. And Pamphiloma, in response to this, responded just showing, well, you know, well, well, they're even like admitting their pure fascism. Quote, for me, democracy is just a mechanism, a method for organizing power through elections. What happens now in the West is democracy, not as the rule of the majority, but the rule of the minority. I would agree with Mitri Sergeyevich Peskov. We definitely don't have the kind of a system that exists in the West, and we don't need it. The head of the Central Election Committee also called Western democracy degraded. She said that the Central Election Com Commission is one of the most effective departments in the country. Quote, we solve new problems as efficiently as possible with minimal costs. I think many departments should take a lesson from us, she added. And uh, in a July meeting with Putin, she, by the way, called the 2024 Putin's uh, event, formerly known as elections, a <clears throat> our electoral front line. But, you know, one other traditional front line of Russia and previously the Soviet Union, which, by the way, included much more than just Russians, obviously it was, it was space. Now, as you might have heard, Lula 25 spacecraft, Russia's space agency says, has ceased to exist after crashing into the moon, which Roscosmos stated. Roscosmos stated that the contact of the spacecraft was lost around uh, 2.57 p.m. Moscow time on August the 19th. This occurred after the spacecraft was given the command to enter pre-landing orbit. The day before, Roscosmos reported that an abnormal situation occurred when Luna 25 transitioned to pre-landing orbit. And they're now, you know, making Putin look better. They're, they're creating this uh, special interagency commission that will apparently investigate the causes for this incident. Fun part is they've also legitimately asked, um, legitimately asked Putin to kind of prohibit any press you know, talk about this whole incident. In the Russian mainstream news, whole eight seconds were, you know, left for um, looking at Luna 25 incident and everything. But rest assured, if, um, if this would basically be um, a successful mission, it would just be plastered 
front and center to boost up Putin's ratings. Because, you know, it's not the results of the election that matters to Putin's government. It's these ratings that still show his uh, oligarch bodies that Putin still has some say, which he might or might not have and most likely not. But why is this important? Well, now, we had a huge, had a huge article about this, which I want to read to you. His, I'm going to read this article, which was written back in um, August 11th. And this is like a share, it was a shared collaboration with, with Roscosmos, Medusa, and a bunch of other investigative and other journalists. <laughs> and um, so that you understand what the whole mission was and why it was important and why everyone here is um, kind of laughing about the fact that um, it's all thing is done. So, this happened when Luna 25 was launched, and this was what the Russian press wrote about it. And remember, this mission is, um, you know, done already, happiness has been achieved, money has been stolen, all the good stuff. Quote, Russia is back in the space race. At 10 a.m. local time on Friday, August 11th, a Soyuz 2.1B rocket launched from Vostochny Cosmodrome in the Amur region and carried the Luna 25 mission into a partial orbit around Earth before the spacecraft began its five-day autonomous flight to the moon. Ahead of the launch, local officials in the Khabarovsk region even evacuated the small town in the mission's flight path just because in case one of the booster rockets landed here. Luna 25 is the successor to the USSR's 1976 lunar mission, and it is and it is post-Soviet Russia's first ever soft landing attempt on the moon. The original plan went like this, by the way. They wrote about it as it happened in the future, because this was written on the day of the launch. Once it reaches the moon, Luna 25 will orbit at an altitude of about 100 kilometers, 62 miles, before transitioning to an elliptical landing orbit that comes within 12 to 18 kilometers, about 9.5 miles, above the lunar surface. The spacecraft might hold this orbit for as long as a week to study the landing conditions. Luna 25 has no separate orbital module. The whole station is designed to, designed to land on the moon. It uses its engine to break twice in orbit to transition into a vertical freefall at an altitude about 1,000 meters, which is 3,280 feet. Once in, the, in this descent, two more propulsion systems fire, at first the, uh, at the 1 kilometer mark and then, at, uh, then another at 20 meters, about 66 feet high. Because Luna 25 lacks an active maneuvering system for landing, which is now standard for Chinese and American landers, Russia's engineers and scientists had less flexibility in choosing a landing site, leading to the cautious selection of an area that forms an eclipse of 13 times 15 kilometers. Russia's team picked a region at the moon's south pole where water in the upper surface layer is the highest, according to remote sensing data. The station itself is durable. <laughs> really funny right now, don't you think? But that's just a side note from me. Equipped with thermoelectric generators powered by plutonium-238, Luna 25 was built to survive the lunar nights. But not lunar strikes. Oh my, I'm going to be making fun of this article. I'm sorry. And that lunar nights is when temperatures drop to minus, minus 170 Celsius or minus 278 Fahrenheit. And operate for at least a year on the lunar surface. Or less than a second. <laughs> I'm, I'm really sorry. I, I, I'm just, uh, you know, it's schadenfreude. I have to have some... During lunar days, when it's actively conducting scientific research, which it won't happen, the station will run on its main power supply of solar energy. The mission was intended to search for water and volatile compounds in the lunar regolith and explore the moon's, moon's exosphere, its thin molecular collision-free atmosphere. The lander carries 30 kilograms of scientific instruments to conduct this work. 
and now the mission's history, which uh, will show you why, why this was uh, such a massive failure that I'm still laughing all over the place. Over the years, the Luna 25 mission has been delayed at different times due to accidents, funding shortfalls, and international sanctions. In the mid-1990s, after Russia's Mars 96 mission fell back to Earth due to rocket failure, the Russian Academy of Sciences decided to pursue two new projects. First, a mission to Phobos, one of the moons of Mars, and then a Luna Globe mission from the Earth to the Moon. The Moon mission was, orig was originally entrusted to the same scientific institute responsible for Soviet lunar research and scheduled for the year 2000. But the project was suspended after funding ran out. Moscow restarted this work in 2006 with the signing of an intergovernmental agreement on space cooperation with India. But planning halted again when the Phobos ground mission also failed in 2011, providing, proving the unreliability of technology that essential to Russia's lunar plans. In April 2012, Russia's Academy of Sciences resolved to reacquire interplanetary flight experience through relatively simple lunar missions, beginning with a first launch from the Baikonur Cosmodrome in Kazakhstan in 2015, leading up to unmanned lunar landing planned for 2017. This time, the Space Research Institute of the Russian Academy of Sciences led the mission's scientific program. By, two, by the 2010s, NASA's Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter had identified possible water ice deposits at the Moon's polar regions adding scientific and practical impetus to explore the lunar poles. Russian space officials outlined three potential lunar missions and returned to the Soviet numeration for their stations. Hence, Luna Glob became Luna 25. But now it's a glob either way. I'm sorry. Due to sanctions imposed in response to the February 2022 invasion of Ukraine, Russian space exploration now faces new obstacles. The European Space Agency has suspended lunar cooperation and denied Moscow access to the European Navigation ca Camera Pilot TD, which was crucial to the Luna 27 mission's plans for a smart landing. And um, here's why this was important. If Luna 25 successfully lands on the moon, and we know it didn't, it will likely share the lunar south pole with India, India's Chandrayaan 3. I hope Chandrayaan 3 lands. Indians deserve this. It is still unclear which mission will land first. Well, now it is. India launched its spacecraft on July the 14th, and it's currently scheduled to land on August 23rd, about 100 kilometers or 62 miles from Russia's objective. But the Luna 25 could still be first. Won't be. That's because the Chandrayaan's 3 lander and rover lack their own sources of heat and power sufficient to survive a lunar night so the mission's landing must take place at the start of a lunar day to maximize the available time for exploration. In other words, the landing will be postponed to mid-September if the Chandrayaan-3 isn't ready to land on August 23rd. The Luna 25, on the other hand, can only orbit the moon for a week, so landing after August 24th is simply impossible. Moscow has celebrated Luna 25 as the first ever mission to one of the moon's poles, but India's Chandrayaan-2 crashed here in 2019 in a failed soft landing. In fact, that mission's orbiter is still operational and studying the region to this day. Meanwhile, in just a few weeks, the Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency will launch a pinpoint lunar landing mission. In April 2023, a private Japanese uncrewed lunar landing mission carrying the Emirates lunar mission failed and crashed into the moon. In addition to competing with former space partner India, Russia also finds itself in the shadow of Chinese and United States lunar exploration. In late 2024, NASA plans to send a Viper rover to the lunar South Pole region to prospect for resources in permanently shadowed areas. The United States is busy promoting its multilateral Artemis Accords to establish a framework for cooperation in the civil exploration and peaceful use of the Moon, Mars, and other astronomical objects. 
Artemis itself is a moon exploration program led by NASA and the space agencies of the EU, Japan, Canada, Israel, and Australia. The program is designed to re-establish a human presence on the moon, landing the first woman and first person of color to the moon, according to NASA. In May 2024, Beijing plans to launch the Chang'e 6 mission to explore the moon and perform the nation's second sample return mission, also aiming for the moon's south pole. And um, China has signed its own multilateral agreements on lunar cooperation with Russia and Venezuela. And, uh, you know, I think after Luna 25, yeah, that cooperation doesn't look really good now, does it? But yeah, that's about it for today. And uh, sorry for, like, lack of updates on defense on the front, but the Ukrainian army isn't very forthcoming with all of their news. However, Viktor is going to plop in and you know, back from his own experiments and everything he done over there in Ukraine. And he'll come on the show and we're going to talk about all the situation. I hope he's making it back soon because today, you know, he's delivering the car to the Lviv army base, which is pretty nice. Otherwise, I am now off to mail you all the caps. I have printed out the addresses. Now I have just to pack them and, well, uh, I guess write a bunch of, <laughs> write a bunch of postcards but I intend to mail them just right now after I finish recording and publish this episode. So, um, yeah, all of you, my Discord is not just for patrons. Patrons have a special channel on the Discord server that I use, and we also watch movies. By the way, on my birthday, the 28th of August, what we're going to watch together is, um, is going to be Come and See. Why do, I, why do I pick the most depressing war movie that I know for my birthday? Because this is the Eastern border, after all. What did you expect? We watch happy movies all the time, and I suppose my birthday is the one date when we can watch something sad. So, you know, if you, um, you know, check previous show notes or something, or just Google up Discord, and you, you, can, you can find our channel. It's called the Eastern Border, and it's on Discord, and you can easily find that one, I think. And I'll try to post this in the show notes this time as well. But yeah, that's it for today. До свидания, товарищи. And as always, remember, happiness is mandatory.